looking at 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we're, um, we're looking at a chapter that is uh, obviously well-loved, well-challenging in itself, right? As we think about love, none of us are perfect at it. And also the fact that there's no commands in this chapter, it's, it's about describing something. And as you look into the Corinthian church more and more, you realize he's, just, he's describing it because he thinks, for the most part, he, it's not necessarily seen like it should be in the Corinthian church. They're, especially in the worship services, he, they're chaotic. There's a lot of competition and a lot of um, uh, maneuvering, in a sense, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians 14. And at the same time, he is talking about spiritual gifts. And one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, what's the relationship between spiritual gifts and love? Because he says at the end of chapter 12, I will show you a still more excellent way in regards to spiritual gifts and then switches to love. So why is love more excellent? And yet, if it's so excellent, why even bring up spiritual gifts? If you, 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books in the New Testament that bring up spiritual gifts. Uh, Romans and uh, Galatians and Ephesians, those, those books were written later on, a few, I mean, five to ten years later in the New Testament. And then you have uh, spiritual gifts mentioned in some ways in 1 John, where John tells the disciples to test the spirits, which is later on. And so, the, but what you see in the progression in the New Testament is that the, the uh, the talking about gifts goes from lists and two lists in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to you know, one list in Romans 12 to uh, 1 Peter where he says, uh, let's just divide it up between serving and speaking. And, and then in some ways in, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 John where it's just, just test them, you know, to make sure that they're from God. And, and so you see this decline in spiritual gifts and yet uh, it, it, as far as mentioning it and teaching about it. And yet, obviously, he spends a lot of time here in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talking about it. So it is important. And so what's the relationship here? How is this working? And I think one of the key things to realize is that he's correcting, he's correcting some, mis, uh, some wrong ideas about spiritual gifts and their importance and their, their place in the body. And he's trying to get those corrections across to help them to understand that. And at the same time, he's trying to help them to value something that they haven't been valuing as much as they should have, which is love within the body. And so he's doing both of those at the same time without negating the gifts and at the same time seeking to shift the focus away from the gifts like they are in 1 Corinthians. And so let's just notice this passage together. Notice the point of the passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And again, there's no commands here. It's a description, and it's just, but it's a description for the purpose of teaching because it, and, and in chapter 14, verse 1, he does say pursue love. So he is going to get to the command to pursue, but he wants to describe it first because he doesn't think they know what it looks like in a sense. And the more you read into it, the more you're like, well, maybe all of us don't do a really good job at this ourselves. So let's just follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 13. It's a short chapter. I'll read the whole thing. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. 
if, if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have also been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The first thing, it, it, chap, chapter 13 is neatly divided up into three, kind of three verse, one through three, four through six, and then eight through the end, or four through seven, and then eight through the end of the chapter. And the, the first point that he's making here is that body's greatness is love, not gifts. The body's greatness is love, not gifts. Notice how he says it here again. If I speak in the, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith. He's going superlative here. He's saying, hey, if I have the best gifts, the most amazing gifts, if I have all of this knowledge and all of these things in, 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 in completion, so to speak, but I don't have love, and he says, it profits me nothing or I gain nothing. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing that comes to the body and there's nothing really that comes to me because again spiritual gifts as he told us in first corinthians 12 are for the benefit of the body as a whole and if i would put this maybe in modern terms it'd be like saying you know if if, if, if we have all the gifts if we have you know people who are writing songs if we have huge miracles that are happening here if we have uh different uh, you know, huge numbers of people and all these things happening in the church and all these skilled people in the church, but there's no love, you're missing the point of the body. The, the body's greatness is not found in the gifts, it's found in love. Sometimes we think, well, if I, if I do these things to seem important or necessary, sometimes we approach gifts that way, right? We think, well, I need to do something in the body. I need to, be, to help the body in some way because that shows that I'm necessary to the body. But he's making the point earlier that like, you are necessary to the body. You're part of the body. You don't have to prove it by doing something. That's not the point. Sometimes we think, well, I, if I do these things to feel connected, to feel like I belong, to, to gain a friendship within the body, I'll, I'll do, I'll serve, I'll, I'll, I'll teach, I'll, I'll prophesy, whatever you know, the gifts are going on here, right? And, and he's saying, no, no, wait a second. Like, that's not the point of the gifts, and that's not the, how this works. Or sometimes we think, well, if I do these things, I'm spiritual, right? If I have these gifts, then I can say I'm spiritual. The, the uh, Spirit is operating in me. It's not wrong to say that, but 
again, when you're use, using that kind of logic, what's happening is you're, you're in a sense saying, right, that, hey, the, the, I've got to prove that I'm important here and that this is worth being a part of. And it's worth being a part of because this is God's. He died for it. He rose again for it. We don't need to prove how great it is. But he's saying the reason how we demonstrate greatness in the body is through love. Like love is what actually makes the greatness of the body the greatness of the body, if you will. It, it, it makes it so that, that, that this body is unique in some ways, right? Like in most communities that you're a part of, there's like some claim to fame, so to speak, right? I mean, I, I get it, like for Cub fans out there, you know, the claim to fame is like two World Series, right? But hey, also the longest distance between them, you know, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, we came back somehow after how long? Over a century, something like that, right? You know, or um, if you're like, if you're from Gilbert, like uh, my kids are, like claim to fame, well, yeah, we have, we have a great school, we have a great school system, right? Or, or you might say, if, if, if our sports teams are doing well, which our football team never does, uh, you know, hey, we have a great team, right? So we're always looking for a reason to be in something because we want to attach ourselves to greatness, and so the reason why I want to be in the community, in this body, in this is because of the greatness of it, right? But in the body of Christ, it's already great. It's God's. And it's great as, as the body lives out the love of God with each other. That's the greatness of the body. And so Paul here is just making this point by going, to hyperbole over the top, so to speak, right? And saying, hey, if I have all of these gifts and I'm amazing, like I could get up and I could tell you this is what God's going to do for the next 10 years. Or if I could get up and, and sing this song and move you all to tears. Or if I, could, if, if I could, you know, have some people walk in and heal them or something like that. That's not greatness in the body. It's the love the body shares. That's the greatness that's in the body. And it's unique in that sense. Now, now there comes a point in time where people say, well, and especially in today's world, there, there's, a, there's definitely a line of thought that says, well, the church isn't so great for love, right? In fact, if you're looking for communities that show love, I can think of some, some communities that do better than the church, they're greater than the church. That, um, and, and he goes on and talks about this a little bit further and, and, and helps us to see that, that it, what the teaching here, in a sense, he goes on to say, the body's love for one another comes from God and slows us down to care for one another. Notice what he says. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, here at the, I'm going to go backwards in a sense. Love, it's not saying when it says believes all things that love is gullible, 
What it's saying is that in everything that's going on, love has this sense of faith that there are things that are not seen that are still real and that are worth pursuing. In, in all the things that are going on, love hopes, that is, it says that there, there can still be good that's going to come, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of good things, there can be better things. And so love has got this, this, this intrinsic thing to it that's, that's, that, has, that has faith and that has hope, even in difficult and hard times, and that's why it surrounds those two ideas with bears all things and endures all things. Because love here, as he's saying, is, 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 is able to overcome the, the irritations and the problems and the suffering that comes with life. Love looks beyond those things. And how does it look beyond those things? Through faith and hope. But th- this is the, the essence of love. Why? Because love is, is not about itself. Love is about the other person. And you see throughout here that this description of love being patient and kind and not envying and boasting, the, the, the focus is primarily, you could have used other words to describe love, but a lot of what he's going here is he's, he's trying to help them see that love is not this competitive thing where we pursue greatness at the cost of other people, right? Like, I'm going to be great, who cares about anyone else? Love, love is this thing where it's, it's and he's, he's saying within the church, right, we know this because we've read through 1 Corinthians, right? There's factions in 1 Corinthians. They're competing with each other. They're ig- ignoring one another's needs. They come to communion and one guy feasts and another guy starves, right? There's, there's factions where they're saying, well, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus. There's, there's all of these misunderstandings of what the greatness of the body is about, some people think that the, body, the greatness of the body is in this teaching or who the, who the main guy that started the church is or who the preacher is. And Paul here is saying, let's get back to the fact that love is the greatness of the body and this love is love from God. There's a certain type of love that's here. It's not competitive and it's unconditional. Think about this for a second. How consistently are you patient and kind? How consistently do you not envy or boast or get arrogant or rude? How consistently do you not insist on your own way? You're not irritable. You're not resentful. If we're honest with ourselves, we say, well, yeah, I I fail (laughs) at those. Well, if... if we fail at this, then what are we saying here? What we're saying is the only way this, this happens in the body and it happens well and consistently is not because of us, it's because of God. You see this throughout the New Testament, right? You go to Ephesians and what does Paul say? He's trying to get, convince them that God loves them and God is uniting them as Jews and Gentiles together. And what does he say? He says, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're adopted, you're forgiven, you're, you're placed in this body, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Look at this unconditional love of God. God's grace that comes to you with unconditional acceptance and unconditional love and unconditional gift is yours. 
And the thing is, in the body, if we haven't experienced that ourselves, if we're not saying, look at the unconditional acceptance I've received and the unconditional forgiveness I received and the unconditional love I received, it's really hard to overflow into other people's lives, right? If we're not noticing what we've received ourselves. And Paul here is saying, this is the, both the genius of the, the, this body and it's also unique because it's not the kind of love that's just that's pretty prevalent in our world today and claims to be love without, in my opinion, really being love. You know, it's the, there's a couple different kinds of different versions of this kind of love in the world that, in a sense, is proud of its love. It's the, the, the first version, I would say, is like the, the do-nothing-that-feels-hurtful kind of love. The do-nothing-that-feels-hurtful kind of love. It's that, that mothering kind of love that's like, okay, is there any problem? Like, you know, they term like helicopter parenting. Have you heard that term before? Like, the parents just kind of hover over the child and they're looking for anything that might harm or hurt the child or feel traumatic to the child at all. And they're like, oh, nope, get that out of their life. Oh, nope, get that out of the life. And they're, they're trying to protect their child as much as possible. And that's love, right? That's defined as love, is this, this protection. Like, I'm, I'm going to protect you from anything bad, anything hard. That's not the description of love here. In fact, I would argue, I don't, I don't know about you, I, this is just, maybe this is me just uh, being a, 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 you know, a boy who likes to be himself, and not be, you know, under his mother's umbrella, so to speak, right? Or his parents' umbrella, right? But, like, you don't really want someone who takes care of all of your challenges for you, do you? Like, if something's hard, don't you feel like, hey, th- like, and you actually accomplish it, don't you feel like, hey, that was, that was something, right? I, I took on something hard and I did it, and it gives you confidence, and it gives you this sense of, okay, I, I can do hard things. I can handle tough situations. Like a, a, a helicopter kind of love that says, I'm going to get rid of all the hurt and all the hardship, is not really love because it doesn't let you be yourself and, and grow up and say, look, I can do some things that are hard. But that's sometimes what the world defines as love is get rid of all the hard stuff. There's another type of love, in my opinion, that's in the world. It's kind of just letting you be you. Like, you know, who are you? Like, you can be whoever you want to be. You know, and that's defined both in terms of like your career, but also in terms of your gender, in terms of your sexuality, in terms of anything. You can define yourself however you want to define yourself. But again, to me, that's not really love because, again, maybe this is just being me, but I want to know where I came from. I want to know the story behind how my parents came to love each other. I want to know what that means for me. I want to know, in a sense, my story. Does that make sense? Like, it, like having unlimited possibilities sounds great until you realize I've got unlimited possibilities and I don't think I can get, I can figure out all the unlimited possibilities. What's, which one's the best for me? 
I want to know some history. I want to know some limitations. Why? Not because I want to be defined by them per se, but because I want to know how, how they help me to know who I am. Because we all came here from somewhere, right? We just didn't pop up and exist all of a sudden, right? We didn't make ourselves exist, definitely. So we all have a story. And I like the story of how my parents came to get married. You know, they both went to Africa and one got saved in Mali and wrote the other one and said, hey, you know, you hear about Jesus? And they started to look at Jesus and found out what Jesus had done for them. And then when they came back, they got married. And then I'm here because of that, right? I mean, that's a cool story. But it, it also means that I've got certain limitations. Like my dad is who he is. My mom is who he, she is. And they have a certain background and certain understanding of life. And they've passed that on to me, right? And that's, that's good for me overall. That's love to me. Not just this, well, you can be whoever you want to be. No, actually, it's loving to tell me this is where you came from. Now build on it, right? Isn't that loving? Love says, love is patient and kind. It's, it's not interested in just demanding production, demanding busyness, demanding conformity. And this love comes from God alone. It, it's not just namby-pamby, whatever, it rejoices with the truth and not with wrongdoing. And if this is true, then love is, love is something that's valuable and fragile. But you also understand then why love is the greatness of the body, right? Like if we do all of this activity and we don't have love What's the point? Because we're really not reflecting who God is and the overflow of who God is to each other. He goes on here and he just points out another aspect here. The, the body's maturity is using God's revelation and love to know and bless one another. He says, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now this, this passage is a, a little confusing, okay? There, there's, a, there's a debate over what it means. And I'm going to try to walk you through the heart, I think, of what it's saying here. Because it's important to understand in, in the process of thinking about love and how love operates in the body. He's talking here, he's been talking the entire time about revelation. Go back to Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. And he's just pointing out that the idols didn't reveal, there was no revelation. There's nothing revealed from God. It was just, uh, just kind of an experience they had. And then a little, in chapter 14, at the end of this, he talks again about mysteries. He says, for no one, for one speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men, to but God. 
but to God, for no one understands him, for he, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That word for mysteries is a, you know, a technical term in the New Testament for the idea of, of revelation, that God is revealing mysteries that only he can reveal. So he's, he's talking in the context here about revelation and what revelation means. And he's, he's, saying, he's saying, as for prophecies, they will pass away. And he says, these are going to cease. Why? He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So what he's saying here, it, 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 just simply in a sense, is prophecies are only part of the picture. Knowledge is only part of the picture. But he says, when the perfect comes, and again, this is where the translation can be awkward and not so helpful. The idea of perfect in our minds usually has the idea of some, some perfect state, perfection. But in Paul's thinking, most of the time, uh, it, perfect doesn't mean the state of perfection. It means completion. It means maturity. And, and literally here, if you just take the context of this one verse, right, verse 9, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, you could just translate it, when the whole comes, the partial will pass away, okay? So there's these partial things, and he's saying there's a whole coming, well, if he's talking about revelation, then one of the key things that he's saying here is that, that, that these gifts of prophecy and tongues and knowledge, even though they're supernatural, are just partial. And when we get complete revelation, then those aren't necessary anymore. They can cease. Why? Because we have revelation from God. And usually, a lot of people take that to mean, for instance, the completion of the canon of the New Testament. We have a full revelation from God. Revelation ends it that way, right? It says, it says if you add to these, this book or take away from this book, you're, you're in trouble, right? So you have this idea of a complete revelation. Now, in the context here, that, that helps, but it's not, it doesn't answer all the questions because some of the things are like, well, why, why, then why immediately say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child? Why, why switch to that kind of metaphor if you're just talking about the completion of revelation? Well, I had to do some thinking. In fact, my brain woke me up at 4.30 this morning like, you've got to think, you know, you've got to make sure you get to say this right. So, so walk with me through here. So one of the ways to help you as you work through Scripture and you find a passage that's a little confusing or a little vague is to find a, a, a passage that's more clear, okay? So in the context of the passage, there's actually a metaphor here that's used that's more clear. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. It says, here in verse 20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Now the word there, mature, is the same word for perfect. It's just translated. Again, again, most times in Paul it's actually translated mature or complete. And here it's translated that way here, where it's translated when the perfect comes, back in 1 Corinthians 13. Well, what's he saying in 1 Corinthians 14 about this? Okay. In 1 Corinthians 14, when he's saying, don't be children, children in your in thinking, be infants in evil, but be, in your thinking, be mature, be perfect, okay, what is he saying? Well, in the context, he's talking about tongues and prophecy. And he says, look, you, you, 
we know by revelation what the purpose of tongues was. It was to confront Israel with their lack of repentance, their lack of faith in God, their lack of following the revelation of God. And so, and so uh, when, when tongues is practiced in the church, it's partially a, a, a message of Hey, you be warned, God's grace and God's gifts to you could be removed if you don't really repent and follow me, right? And so he, he, he talks about that, and in the context of 1 Corinthians as a whole, he's saying, look, think about, you've got these gifts, but what, what really edifies the whole body, He's like, you have all of these gifts and you have people that are, start talking in tongues and somebody interrupts them and gives a prophecy and somebody interrupts them. And, and you get the picture from what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 14 of this chaotic worship service where people are talking all the time and you never know, like there's, sometimes, there's no completed thoughts or there's no completed teaching. It's just all chaos. And he ends chapter 14 by saying, let's do everything decently and in order. He's like, let's, let's get some order to this. Why? He's not just saying, I want to control it. His whole line of reasoning in 1 Corinthians 14 is, is doing things decently in order, doing things with understanding their purpose helps benefit the body. And instead of creating chaos, creates health, creates goodness. And so, so his, his whole goal here is to move them from, from just thinking about what they've experienced and what they want to experience to thinking about what's good for the body as a whole. And what he's saying is that's the process of maturity. So if you go back and you say, okay, if he's saying overall that this idea of perfection is just the idea of maturity, well, that also makes sense in the context. Because right, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I gave up, became a man, I put away childish ways. I mean, that's about maturity too, right? So, so he's saying there's something going on here that the gifts alone and don't, don't cover. And he, he's, we know what it is <laughs> because he's been talking about the whole chapter, right? Love never fails. It never ends. And his point is here, he's saying, look, if you're just focused on the gifts and I've already told you that it's, it's, that's not about the greatness of the body. And I've already said, look at how great love is. But if you're just focused on gifts, you're missing the point that love added to truth is what matures the body. All of these gifts, prophecy, knowledge, etc., are revealing God's truth to us. But the process of maturing is us taking truth, adding love to it, and doing what's good for others in the midst of love and truth right? I mean, it sounds like Ephesians 4 all over again. Just Ephesians 4 is more succinct. And I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, love never ends. It never fails. And if you get away from that, if you don't realize, okay, well, I've got all this knowledge and I've got all these gifts, I've got all these experiences. No, you have truth from God and you need to add love to it. What's good for others? What's good for the body? If you're only focused on yourself, if you're only focused, and that's what he says here, when I became, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He includes himself in on this because he's used himself as the example. He's saying, I haven't arrived either. 
He see, but, he, but he's saying you, you, you make a transition, you're either in a sense like a child where you're saying, well, I've just got to learn the truth. I've got to learn the truth, and once I learn the truth, I'm good. And he's like, no. We know this even from Iowa State, right? Like, you can graduate from, from Iowa State with a PhD and know a ton of stuff. Just ask all the PhD students in, and doctors in the room here, okay? That doesn't mean you're mature, right? That doesn't mean you know how to handle life. I'm sorry, it just doesn't, okay? Speaking from someone who's got a master's degree, but, you know, I'm more practical. I'm just kidding. But the, the, the point is, is, that, is, is that there's more to it than just knowledge. And he's trying to get that across here. He's saying, look, love doesn't fail. It's a part of the, the picture. It's always a part of the picture. You can't get away from it. If you just want to focus on knowledge, you're missing the point. And it's, you're going to look at things and you're like, well, I've got this truth. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way in school, right? Well, I've got this truth, but I don't know how to put it all together. All right? I mean, definitely felt that way in geometry a few times. All right? <laughs> how does this work? And Paul is saying here, you have to have truth, but you have to add love. If you don't add love... It doesn't fit together. It doesn't work. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You can have all the prophecy in the world. You can have all the gifts in the world. But if you're not adding in love, you got nothing. You're not growing. You're not maturing. You personally are not maturing. Not just the body is not, but you're not either. He says, and here he says, but when we shift to maturity, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's making the point here, and so, again, some people think, well, he's talking about when we see God face to face, but it's so vague, and there's so many problems with that, because if you go on to the next verse, you say, well, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Like, okay, is, is he saying, like, we're going to know as much as God knows? No, again, I don't think, he's not thinking about it that way. He's thinking about the difference between immaturity, focusing on just my gifts, and maturity. What's, what's, what's love plus gifts look like? And he's saying, when I shift to that focus, I shift to, now I can know people face to face. I can be in a relationship to feel. That, that idea of face to face is, I can be in an open relationship with them. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we, we focus on knowledge, right? We think, oh, you've got to know all the right stuff. And there's no, again, there's nothing wrong with knowledge. But have you ever been in a church body and you're like, well, we know a lot of stuff, but I don't know anybody. <laughs> you, know, you know why that is sometimes? It's because we haven't shifted in our thinking to a maturity thinking that shifts it from I've got to know a bunch of stuff to how do I take what I know God's revealed to me and, and the love that God has for people and how do I put those two together? Because once you are open to doing that, then you're like, hey, I just want to get to know you. I, I can slow down. I don't have to be so busy. I can be like, well, you know, I, I, God put you in the body and I don't know you. I want to get to know you. That, that might take... A week, it might take a year, but I got time, you know. I, I just, I, I want to value you as part of the body. And I want to be face-to-face -face with you. Now, can you do that with everybody in the body? No. But the point is, if you don't value maturity, you'll do it with nobody in the body. 
right? You'll just show up to church, you'll just learn a bunch of stuff, and you'll walk away, and you're like, well, I know, I know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And Paul's like, that's not good enough. That's not what it means to be part of the body. He says, now I know in part, when, when I'm just thinking, I'm just, I'm just, but, but then when I'm thinking maturely, I start to know fully. And the, the idea is not exhaustive knowledge here. The idea is kind of experiential, confident knowledge that, hey, I know this works. I, I know I can know people. I know I can love people. I can, I can not be patient, uh, impatient and not be rude, and I can be patient and kind and see the relationships develop and see God's love in action. <laughs> it, why? Because I've shifted into my focus from immaturity thinking to maturity thinking. How do I take the love that God, I know God's given me and the knowledge he's giving me and how I treat my neighbor, I treat my fellow Christian? Think about it maybe. We're, I was talking to some single guys yesterday in our discipleship group. And I, I made this point. I was like, guys, there's something that happens in God's world that, that's just part of God's world. That you, you might be able to get away from. And, but it's makes you realize that God's world is all about not just you. And, and I said, you can get married and it can still be about you. <laughs> you, can, you, can, uh, you can have a career and it definitely can still be about you. But you have a child and it's no longer about you. It just isn't. They, they can't do anything for themselves. You have to change them. You have to feed them. You have to put them in the bed. You have to pay attention to them 24-7 for at least three months. And most people say for another 18 years after that. Right? And you realize life is not about me, especially when you have seven of them. Life is just not about you. It's just not. And, and you, I get it. You don't get it when you're a teenager because really life is about you because your parents are trying to help you understand you. And you get to college and it's still really about you and you can even get married and it's kind of about the other person but it's mostly a negotiation like how do we make both of our lives happy? <laughs> you know what I mean, But you have a child and it's like, nope, it's no longer about you. Can't be. That's God's world. He, he, he put that in place. And Paul here is saying, when I became a man, I put away childish things. I understood life is not about me anymore. And love is saying, life is not about me. Right? Love is patient and kind. It is gentle. It's not rude and irritable. It doesn't insist on its own way. Why? Because you realize life is not about you. How do you realize that? Because you live in God's world and you know God and you see his love for you because he makes it not about him except in all the ways that matter. You're thinking, how do I help my child? 
And that means that in some ways, right, again, it goes back to what I said earlier, parenting is often realizing that just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should as a parent. I've got this money. I can throw it at this problem for my kid. Doesn't mean you should. I got, I got this opportunity over here. I can get the, my kid a job. Doesn't mean you should, you know? Hey, I can, I, can, I can get my kid to go over here and do this. Doesn't mean you should, right? Because you're having to think about not just the knowledge that you have, but your child and who are they and what they like and what gifts God has given them and how do you bring those two together? And this is what Paul is saying in the body of Christ should be happening. This is what makes the body great. Is that we live not for competing with one another and showing one another up and showing how great we are. And I've just found another group of people that I can show how great I am to them. But we're seeking to show the greatness of God to one another by saying, you know what? God loved you enough to die for you. I want to get to know you. I want to know I want you to experience God's love through me just in little ways. And I hopefully can experience God's love for me through you in little ways. And we're doing that together. And that's why he says at the end, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. He's saying they all fit together, but love is what unites it together. And it's not a worldly love that's just love at all costs and there's no truth. No, it's biblical love is saying we have truth from God. It's real. It's solid. We can trust it and yet we can unite it with love for people because this is God's world. And so as a church overall, this is our vision. We want, we want to be this kind of body to be, in a sense, a scripture-focused family. We're, we're focused on scripture, but we're a family together that understands God has put us together. We, we, we value each individual person, but we, we want to be a scripture-focused family that disciples Christians in grace and truth in order to impact the community for the gospel of Christ. That's what we want to do. That's who we want to be. Why? Because... We believe that grace and truth are what people need. To know God, to love him, to know others and love him. You can't know God without understanding his love. And you can't love others without using his love to love others. This won't get to know you if you're not patient and kind. If you don't insist on your own way. And so the values we have in this family are that we're gospel-driven. We want biblical discipleship. We want to be in the word. We want to care for one another like family. And we want to give grace to one another. This is, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about grace. It's realizing what you've received and bringing it together. So where are you at? This is a description. There's no command but do you recognize God's love here? <laughs> he's, he's describing it for you. 
He's describing what it looks like, and he's describing the maturing process that should take place as a result. Is that true for you? Or do you want it to be true of you? Have you thought about, okay, I, I, I need to know God's truth, but I also need to think about how to love others. How do I bring those two together in my particular situation? Is that going on in your head? It should be. God wants you to experience his love by knowing his truth and by sharing it with one another. So will you do it? Will you share in his love? Will you know his peace? Can we be that family together, discipling one another in grace and truth? Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess that I'm not as mature as I need to be. I don't always think correctly. I don't always act in love. Sometimes I think my greatness is more about what I can do rather than who I can love because you have loved me first. Lord, thank you that we can be a family that's based on your love for us. This is not about us. This is about you and what you did for us. You sent your son to die on the cross for us. He rose again. He ascended to your right hand and he sent the Holy Spirit so that we we could know your love and we could experience it together. The, The body operating together in truth and love so that you can be honored as the God who has rescued us from sin and death. Oh Lord, we we do look forward to the day when that revelation, so to speak, is complete. When you come back for us and we see you once again. We pray until that day that we would grow in truth and love. In your son's name we pray, amen.